Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. It's so good to be here, and it really is. I've just been so blessed to see um, Terry and Mark and how they've actually thrived here and what they've done, what they're doing. You know, speaking of crowd, it's like, oh, my goodness. It's like, oh, you know how as a teacher or a mentor or something, you always want the ones that you've mentored to go higher and farther and faster than you ever have. And I see that in you guys. It's like, wow. And I just bless you to go, 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 and do and do and do. When Terry asked me to speak today, my heart just leapt. I said, yes, yes, yes. I was actually quite busy at the time, and I thought in the natural, you know, it's like, oh, I shouldn't be saying yes. But everything in me just said yes. And the very first thing that came to me, as I said, Lord, what would you have for these people, is a scripture that's actually um, one of my favorite ones. It's from Nehemiah 6.11, and it says this, Should a man like me flee... And could, such, and could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And this is a man, if you remember the story of Nehemiah, he was a man chosen of God to rebuild a wall, to rebuild a people, to rebuild a faith, to rebuild a nation. And in the story, if you, if you haven't read it in a while, I, I really um, just encourage you to read it as you go home. But he was opposed at every turn. He had this call of God, and he boldly went forward. But, you know, he was opposed. And he, the enemy not only tried to oppose him, but intimidate him. And a man came to him and said, Nehemiah, the, um, the enemy wants to kill you. Let's run to the temple where you can be safe. Let's run to the temple to save your life. And this is when Nehemiah said, should a man such as I run? And I've often wondered and asked God the question, how did Nehemiah know what manner of man he was? You know, one such as I, how in the world did he know that? Not just up here, but in here. And you know, in the the times when we need to stand in courage and faith, it's not so much what's up here that determines how we respond, but it's in our, what's in our heart and how we respond from the heart. How did he have such a strong identity that he could stand in that place and that point of adversity and say, no, I will not go. If I die, I die, but I will not run. God has given me a task. He's called me into a place. I haven't completed that task yet. If I die, I die, but I'm not leaving. I'm not running. I'm going to stay in this place. How in the world did that man have that much courage? I remember John Sanford, who was the founder of Elijah House, and he talked about Cheyenne warriors, <clears throat> Native American Cheyenne warriors. And when, <clears throat> excuse me, when they were in a battle, if they, were, if they would be tempted to run in the battle, they would take a spear, they would put it in the ground, and they would tie themselves to the spear so that they wouldn't run from the battle. And when I heard him share that, I thought, where, where do they get that kind of courage? I will stand in the day of adversity. I will not faint. I will stand in the day of battle, and I will not run. I will stand in the task that God has called me to, and I will not give up. 
How could Nehemiah accomplish a seemingly impossible task in only 52 days? Other people had tried before him, and other people had failed. He was a cupbearer to a king over 1,000 miles away. And that was before airplanes and, you know, all those different ways. He was far away from his people and from the work that God had called him to. He did not have resources as a cupbearer. He did not have permission. He did not have the protection. He, and even if he would have asked for these things, he could have died. So how did he get the courage to even ask for these things? How did he have the courage to stand against persecution and slander and opposition at every turn? Well, I believe it's because he remembered. He remembered his God. All of these things were very small things when he held them in perspective because he remembered his God, and the God that he remembered was a very big God. Now, we could say the opposition was big, the challenge was big, the need was big, the destruction was big, the disgrace was big. But you know what? He didn't go there. And I think each one of us have a choice. When we're faced with these kind of things, we can go there and say, oh, that's too big. I can't. Or we can do what Nehemiah did. Immediately, he fell to his knees and he put his eyes on a great big God. He couldn't. But God could. Amen? He remembered his God. And I love the scripture in Nehemiah 1.5. He says, the, Nehemiah said this, O oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. And so he's saying, this God of mine, the God of heaven, he's great and he's awesome. And he made a covenant with my people a long time ago, and he's going to keep it. He's a God who is filled with loving kindness. He remembered his God, and I think that's such a key, especially in the area of identity, in knowing who we are and really stepping into and walking out our destiny is remembering our God, that he is great and he is awesome. Nehemiah's people had been in exile for about 150 years. That's a lot of generations. But somehow faith and trust in God had traveled down through, passed down through, and been preserved in the generations. No matter what the circumstances looked like, no matter what the people felt like. It must have been challenging to be in exile. What a huge challenge, and yet they didn't lose their trust in God, their belief in God, their understanding of God, that he was good and compassionate and long-suffering and full of loving kindness. Now, here is the irony of it all, and here is the tension of it all. Nehemiah's destiny was to deliver and to restore, but he was a captive. That's a pretty big irony, don't you reckon? This is what I've seen as I've ministered to people throughout the years, is that the enemy hits people, from, usually from the very beginning of their life, 
to try to keep them from becoming who they really are, who God has created them to be, and to try and keep them from what they've been called to do. And if you look at Moses, he was a deliverer, yeah? And the enemy is not all-knowing, absolutely not. But one thing that I know is that he smells anointing. Somehow he has an understanding of the anointing that people carry. And he goes after that. And so here's a little baby. Oh, my goodness, he's a deliverer. I know what we'll do. We'll kill all the babies born at that time. That'll get rid of him. Oh, dear, that didn't work. We'll put him in a pagan palace. He'll be surrounded by a different language, a different people. He'll be surrounded uh, by foreign people, foreign things. We'll take away his family. We'll take away his language. We'll take away his dress. We'll take away his culture. We'll take away his identity. He will forget who he is, and he will forget who his God is. Oh, that didn't work. We'll make things so bad for him that he will begin to hate his God. And he'll forget that whole covenant thing. Can you imagine holding on to promise for 150 years? No, our God is a covenant God. But don't you see what's happening? Where is this God of Elijah? Oh, no, we don't see it right now. But our God is a covenant-keeping God. Our God is an awesome God. And Moses didn't forget that. He didn't forget who his God was. Ah, so can you hear the enemy saying, well, that's okay. We'll capture his heart with hate. We'll tempt him to hate his captors. Or we'll tempt him to love his captors, and he'll become just like them. He'll forget his people. He'll forget his God. Or if that doesn't work, and it didn't, we'll tempt him to fulfill his calling in his own strength. And this is where Moses actually fell over. Because do you remember this deliverer? He saw one of his people being beaten up. And so, dun, 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 he runs to the rescue. This deliverer, he knew who he was. There was something in him that rose up. Ah, this isn't right. He rose up to deliver his brother and kill the Egyptian. Uh, wrong. It was who he was. It was who, what he was called to, but not that way. And so he realized what he'd done, tried to bury the Egyptian in the sand, and someone saw what happened, and so he ran. And so can you imagine the enemy thinking, okay, I've got him now. He's in the desert 40 years. In those 40 years, he will forget his God. He'll forget his people. He will get so busy with family and with business, he'll forget all that deliverer stuff. And then, year after year after year, ah, he'll be too old. He won't be able to do it anyway. How many of you have seen yourself in maybe one or two of those things? I'm too old, or I'm too ill-equipped, or I'm in a strange place, or I don't know, I'm not qualified. All of those things. But you know what? To God, it doesn't matter. God called this man and he said, I have a task for you to do. You've been running long enough. <laughs> and I just felt as I prepared this lesson that there are maybe more than one. 
in this congregation, and there have been a play, there's been a place where you've been running from not only who you are, but what God has called you to. And I believe that God is saying, hey, it's time to stop running because I have something incredible for you. Perhaps you've forgotten who you are or you've forgotten who your God is, but let God remind you today that he is great and awesome. And he has a plan for you. And I know we hear this, we throw this around, you know, he has a plan for your life and a destiny for you. But you know what? I want you to catch this today. You have a destiny. You are not too young. You are not too old. Whatever has happened to you, I love what Terry prophesied into this young couple. What happened to us, what's, what's happened, actually, it's preparation for what God is going to do. Joseph was another deliverer. He had been called to deliver his people, but where did he end up? In a pit, in a dungeon. And Esther, another one who was born a deliverer. But again, the enemy comes in like a flood. She's orphaned. No influence, no opportunity to do that. And yet God worked it all out together. And once again, remember Esther, if the, if the king hadn't um, lowered the scepter to her and welcomed her to come, she could have died. But she had the courage. She had the courage to go forward and to say, if I die, I die. Remember, she had to be encouraged a bit by Mordecai, but she got there. And some of us waver. It's like, oh, yeah, I believe, but... And we need people to say, no, you have been called for such a time as this. You can do this. You can step into this thing. You can step into the destiny that God has for you. We need to encourage one another in this way, especially if we begin to look at our circumstances instead of our God. I see this over and over and over again. People who have been called to walk in miracles. They actually carry an anointing for miracles. But what happens is usually when they're younger, they are disappointed over and over and over again. Things happen. They go into a place of disappointment. And they make inner vows or promises to themselves. I won't, to themselves, I won't get my hopes up. I don't want to be disappointed again. I'm not going to put myself in that position to be disappointed again. But you know what, what Scripture says is faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if I make an inner vow, I'm not going to get my hopes up. I am limiting my ability to walk in miracles. Now, some of you have done that. Some of you, to protect your own heart from disappointment, you've made a vow like that or a similar one. I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I'm not going to let myself be hurt that way again. And in the way that we try to self-protect, we're actually putting up a wall that keeps us from stepping into the very things that we have been created for. Does that make sense? People anointed to change the world. There is an anointing actually, that rests upon the young man in the plaid. Remember, I met you, and I said, oh, there's a strong anointing on you. There's an anointing as a world changer, someone who will bring change into the world. 
But oftentimes what happens is that the enemy attacks us when we're just wee kids, little kids, and says, and we get to a place where we decide, we judge ourselves and come to expect, I'm too small, I'm too little, what I say doesn't make any difference, I can't change things, it's all too big. Does that make sense? And so that's written on our heart, I can't. And God is saying over and over over again, no, you can, you can, you can do all things because I'll strengthen you. But when we decide that as a child, I can't do this. My no doesn't make a difference. What I want doesn't make a difference. I'm too small. I'm too weak. I'm too ineffective. I cannot bring change. Oftentimes that's so written on our heart that when we become a man or a grown-up woman and our mind is saying, yes, I can do this. I know what scripture says. I know what I've been called to. But there's a part of our heart that speaks so loudly and says, no, you can't. You're too little. You're too small. You're too ineffective. And like I said, oftentimes it's the heart that is the true motivation, the true push in our life. And so we need to recognize those voices. We need to recognize those messages and bring them to death on the cross and find out why those messages were written there in the first place. There will be a wound, by the way. The enemy has tried to hit you in that area to wound you, to tempt you to try and protect yourself from being hurt that way again. And so part of it is recognizing the wound, but part of it is also recognizing how we responded to that wound, what we decided, and then bringing those decisions to death on the cross. Lord, I judge myself that I'm too small, that I'm too weak, that I'm too ineffective. Lord, I'm sorry. That's not who you say I am. I renounce that lie, and I bring it to death on the cross in Jesus' name. And then we allow the Holy Spirit, of course, to bring healing to that wound that was there. I see people all the time, justice people. And when I say justice people, usually I see a few, you know, people go like this. And they just stand up a little straighter because when they hear even that word, they know that's me. So I just want to look around. How many of you, when you hear justice people, you know that's you? Jerry, Simon Pollitt, your hand isn't up, that's you. Yeah, how many else back here? Justice people, people who love justice, people who, who just want to stand for right to defend the weak and the helpless. Any, any, yeah. And so what I see oftentimes what happens, maybe this is in your life, I don't know, is that the justice people oftentimes they get hit with injustice. And again, they feel too weak to do anything about it. Or they try to take justice in their own hands and in their own strength. Or they throw up, uh, throw up. Maybe they do that too. But they, they, they throw in the towel. Ah, can't make any difference anyway. Nobody's going to listen. And oftentimes I see people who um, are boat rockers. And, um, you know, if we grow up in a lot of chaos, a lot of tension at home, we make these decisions not to rock the boat, right? I'll keep the peace. 
I won't cause trouble. I'll do everything I can, you know, to keep everybody happy. Anybody here? That's kind of how you grew up. I'll just make sure everybody's okay. I'll just not rock the boat. We make that inner vow. I won't rock the boat. But when I find people who have made that kind of a decision, usually they've been called to rock the boat. If you're going to walk on water, you're going to rock the boat. Amen? If you're going to get out, you're going to rock the boat. So fear would tempt us to stay in the boat. No, it got to stay here. Faith would say, now nah, I'm getting out. But if we have a decision, I won't rock the boat, we're hindered in our ability to do that. How many here? I'm a boat rocker. How many of you know that? Yes, Rochelle, you are. Vermi, yeah. Oh, come on, y'all. I know there's more. Yes. That little boy, the man in the orange, the little boy sitting by you. He's, he's one of those that is bringing a, will bring about change. He is one of those boat rockers that will walk on water. Mm, an incredible anointing on him. Oftentimes what I see is people who are hurt, who have hearts of love and compassion, are often hurt so badly that they begin to close up their heart. They don't have emotion. And so they're stopped from the very thing that they've been called to do, to live out of their heart, to love people passionately and fully and largely, if I can say that, largely, to live love large, like it says in the Passion Bible. Leaders, apostles, oftentimes we carry a, a lie, I'm disqualified, I'm just a woman, <laughs> or I'm just this or just that. One man really challenged me. It hasn't been that long ago. And he says, well, the world is such a mess, Sandra. What difference can you possibly make, especially since you're just a woman? And I said, well, actually, my vision, I wasn't offended a bit, actually. I said, actually, my vision is I'm going to change the world. One heart at a time. Amen? And I remember being an intern, and that was when I, I mean, that beginning of internship, I couldn't even open my mouth, right? I, we just sat and watched and trembled in our seat. Um, but this really big woman, oh, she's powerful evangelist and well-known. Probably if I said her name, you would know her, but I'm not going to say her name. But she was just powerful. And I was this little intern, you know, just don't look at me, don't ask me anything, because I can't talk. And she just looked at me, put her finger in my face, literally, and said, and what qualifies you to, pr to pray for me? And in this squeaky little voice, I said, I'm a grandma from Montana, and I love Jesus. <laughs> That's the only thing. And she went, oh. And she was okay with that. But, you know, sometimes we think we have to have business cards or qualifications or whatever. Aw. God qualifies you. So many of us have forgotten God. 
And, you know, we go through things, and sometimes our picture of God is inaccurate because of what we've gone through, and we can see him as mean or withholding or cruel or ineffective or uncaring. But not Nehemiah. He remembered, and he knew that God was a covenant-keeping, awesome God. Years ago, I read a book, and I don't remember anything about the book except the title, but it was a good book. It's We Become, <laughs> we become What We Behold. And the essence of that book was, as we behold our God, we become like him. We are made in the image of God. So how we see God is really important. If we see him as great and awesome and powerful and loving and kind and generous and good, we become like that. We become like what we behold. But if we have a distorted image of God or a distorted picture of God, it distorts who, who we see ourselves to be and how we act as well. I remember being in Austria. No, I was in the U.S., but Simon, you were there. I don't know if you remember this. But he was, he, we were just talking, and he said in the Simon Paulette voice, he said, we just need to teach people to behold their God. And when he said that, I literally fell out of my chair. There was so much power in that. I was shocked. I've never forgotten it. We need to behold our God, the way he is, how much he loves us. And when we remember and when we behold, we can also remind other people when they begin to lose their courage, when they begin to uh, not know who they are, we can speak into them, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your daughters, your wives, and your houses. When we remember God, we have courage to fight. We have courage to say no to sin. We have courage to step into our destiny. We have courage to do things that we may not be comfortable with, like speaking in public or teaching Sunday school or singing in the Christmas choir or whatever. Fear keeps us from stepping into things, right? And fear keeps us in this little place. But God is calling us into greatness. He's calling us into a much larger place. God stoops down to make us great, it says in Psalm 18. He's calling us up into a higher place. So many times we, we think we're defined by what we do. Well, if somebody asks me who I am... You know, I'm a Christian, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother, I'm a great-grandmother. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. I'm a prayer minister, I'm an American, I'm adopted Kiwi. Actually, I was thinking this morning I'm adopted Malaysian. This is my sister here. And so that's, you know, I might describe myself, but those actually aren't more roles and identity. And so many times we think that we're... we're defined by the roles, what we do, or what we have done. Some people say, well, you don't know what I've done. And so they somehow feel disqualified or they carry shame. But we have to remember what Christ has done, eh? 
That's what qualifies us, you guys. And I think of the Apostle Paul. I love this scripture. And it's in Corinthians somewhere. You'll have to look for it because I don't remember it. But it says, um, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not without effect. Don't you love that? And if you think about it, he was highly educated. You know, he was somebody. And then he began persecuting the Christians and, and hurting them. Women, children, men. He was hurting the church. God got hold of him. And he became a great apostle. Raised the dead. Healed the sick. Preached the gospel. But what he was saying, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. What he was saying, my credentials, that doesn't define me. The bad things, the horrible things that I did that I've been forgiven for, that doesn't define me. Raising the dead and all those really cool things I'm doing, that doesn't define me either. But by the grace, the ability, the anointing of God, I am what I am. If we can grab hold of this, we will cease from striving. We will cease from trying to push in and make a way for ourselves. We will cease from pulling back and running away and hiding from the calling of God. We will be able to rest in the unconditional love of God, which separates us out, our identity out from our behavior. Does that make sense? God loves you. And in that great, amazing, awesome love of God, he can separate out what you've done from who you are. So if there's anyone here that feels disqualified or ashamed because of your past, what you've done, Please hear this. Let Jesus deal with that through forgiveness and confession, whatever needs to happen. But know that all of that, when brought under the blood, it's preparation for where you are right now. Absolutely. I remember um, I went to Elijah House because my life was so messed up. I was a mess. Absolutely a mess. <laughs> I've had so much ministry. Um, that's why I can have compassion for people who come. It's like, I, yeah, I remember. I was so messed up. And my first husband had left me. We were involved in a lot of ministry, had a business, and he'd left me after 30 years of marriage. I was devastated. I was brokenhearted. I was a mess. And so I went for ministry, and I so loved the ministry, and I thought I'd take the school. And I loved the school, and so I wanted to take the training. But all the while, there was this thought in my mind, oh, my gosh, who would want to come for ministry from someone whose life was such a mess? I wouldn't want to come. You know, it's like, no, I'd choose somebody else, please. <laughs> but one day, I was ministering to a couple and really, it was a difficult week, but we got to some wonderful places. Their marriage was restored, their love for each other. They were like honeymooners. And when they left, I was just so excited. It was over a period of time. But I was so excited, and I said, thank you, God, for what I went through. 
because I knew how to help them. Part of me, my heart broke because that didn't happen. That What happened then didn't happen for me. But it didn't disqualify me. It actually qualified me. I stepped into my destiny when I was 50. Five-zero. <laughs> I thought it was over, right? And the Lord says, oh, Sandy, it's just begun, honey. You get some healing. You deal with your stuff because you're like, you know. But when we get through that, it's going to be amazing. And that's the message that I want to leave for you guys is when you get through this, if you can do the process and do the work, do the, you know, just, Lord, heal me. Lord, show me my sin. When we can do that work, confess and repent and bring that to death on the cross, then God can say, okay, honey, let's go. Let's run this race. Now, I want to I wanna close this by telling you um, a story. Well, I, I just want to read the words to a song. Sometimes when we, um, when we go through difficulties, we forget who we are, right? All right, we focus on God. And how many of you like cartoons? Okay, you really sophisticated people. You probably don't. But those of you in the back, you know, how many of you? Yeah. I know. I love this guy. Yeah, right? I know. Okay, good girl. Okay, did you watch uh, Spirit of Cimarron? I know. Oh, you're great. You're awesome. Okay, I love it. And there's a, it's a story about this stallion, and he's wild, and he's, you know, he's powerful, and he's head of this, what do you call the horses? Um, herd. Herd. Oh, herd. Yeah, that's a hard word, herd. <laughs> and and then he gets captured, and he gets captured by the enemy, and they break his spirit, and it takes a while, but they uh, break this beautiful, wild stallion, and they break him, and they're trying to make him uh, just pull a locomotive, right? But this song comes on, and he's in, he's in a train, and they're taking him to the place where they're going to use him, you know, in this, in this to do this railroad, railroad work. And the, the name of the song is Sound the Bugle. And listen to the words. Sound the bugle now. Play it just for me. As the seasons change, remember how I used to be. Now I can't go on. I can't even start. I've got nothing left, just an empty heart. I'm a soldier, wounded, so I must give up the fight. There's nothing more for me. Lead me away or leave me lying here. Sound the bugle now. Tell them I don't care. There's not a road I know that leads to anywhere. Without a light, I fear that I will stumble in the dark, lay right down, decide not to go on. Then from on high, somewhere in the distance, there's a voice that calls, remember who you are. If you lose yourself, your courage soon will follow. So be strong tonight. Remember who you are. Listen to this. You're a soldier now, fighting in a battle to be free once more. Yeah, that's worth fighting for. If you lose yourself, 
if you forget who you are, if you forget who your God is, your courage soon will follow. We lose heart. We lose hope. We lose confidence. We lose courage. But the word of the Lord for this morning is remember. Remember who you are. Remember your God, who is an awesome God. Live out of that courage. And I'm going to play a little clip for you. It's just a couple minutes. But we can look at Nehemiah, we can look at Moses, we can look at all these people and think, yeah, but that was then. But we have some, some examples that we can look to, men and women, that we can relate to. And Desmond Doss, how many of you have heard of Desmond Doss? He was a young, skinny Virginian. Where, where's the couple going? Virginia, there you go. It's prophetic, awesome. Okay, Desmond Doss was a young, skinny Virginian who had joined the army as a conscientious objector, and he refused to carry a gun. But this man received America's highest award for bravery and courage under fire. And this is what happened. When Pearl Harbor was attacked, he could have requested deferment. He could have run. But he wanted to do more for his country. He was willing to risk his life on the front lines without a gun as a medic. He was willing to preserve freedom. He was, and I'm just going to read this because this is so important. Desmond was assigned to an infantry rifle company. He had signed into the army as a conscientious objector, and his refusal to carry a gun caused a lot of trouble among his fellow soldiers. They viewed him with disdain and called him a misfit. One man in the barracks warned him, Doss, as soon as we get into combat, I'll make sure you won't come back alive. His commanding officers also wanted to get rid of the skinny Virginian who spoke with a gentle southern drawl. They saw him as a liability. Nobody believed a soldier without a weapon was worthwhile. They tried to intimidate him. Does this sound familiar? They tried to intimidate him, to bully him, to scold him, to shame him. Shame him. They assigned him extra tough duties and declared him mentally unfit for the army. And then they attempted to absolutely disqualify him. They tried to court-martial him for refusing a direct order to carry a gun. But they failed. They couldn't find a way to toss him out, and he refused to leave. And he believed that his duty was to obey God and to serve his country. In May 1945, as German troops were sur surrendering on the other side of the world, Japanese troops were fiercely defending to their last man the only remaining barrier to an Allied invasion. The men in Desmond's division were repeatedly trying to capture an imposing rock face the soldiers called Hacksaw Ridge. After the company had secured the top of the cliff, the Americans were stunned when suddenly the enemy forces rushed them in a vicious counterattack. Officers ordered an immediate retreat. Soldiers rushed to climb down the steep cliff. 
all the soldiers except one. Less than one-third of the men had made it down. They were wounded. They were scattered. The enemy was furiously attacking. But Desmond stayed. The skinny Virginian who served an awesome God. He disobeyed orders to leave. And he went back over and over and over again all through that night to rescue the men. The amazing thing is, is that he rescued 75. Now, that's impossible. You could not carry that many bodies. I mean, one person could not have done that. But by the grace of God, by the power of God, he did. He stood in his convictions. He stood against the shame. He stood against the bullying, the intimidation, the disqualification. He stood in that place and said, no, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to go. I'm going to stand. And when it was his time to step in, he did. So let's just, are we ready? Can we play that little clip? We got you. We got you. Thank <laughs> you. 
One more. Help me get one more. One more, Lord. Just help me to get one more. One of the songs we sang, I had to write it on my hand so I didn't forget it. You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Are you tired? Have you been intimidated? Are you stuck? Have you been unable to stand? Let's look to Nehemiah, to Moses, to Esther, to a skinny Virginian Desmond Doss. Can that be our heart today? One more, Lord. Just one more. Lord, would you give me courage to stand in the day of adversity? Lord, would you give me courage in the fight? Lord, would you help me to keep my eyes on you, the great and awesome God who fights for me, who fights for us. God, would you enlarge my heart and help me to love large? Would you give me courage to be the one who stays the one who goes out and rescues, the one who loves. And even when tired, even when weary, even when discouraged and scared and tired, that we would have that courage, Lord God, to say one more, just one more. Be strong today. Remember who you are. One of the leading causes of death in New Zealand is suicide, especially among our kids. There are people every day who are giving up. We need to be the voice, the model the arms, the ones who say, don't give up. One more. Just one more. Now, some of you have been impacted today. Some of you have recognized yourself in different stories or Examples. We just encourage you, if you'd like prayer afterwards, to come forward. We want to bless you. We want to encourage you. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us here. A fresh infilling of courage. A fresh infilling of love, 
that not one would be left behind. Not on our watch. You've called us for such a time as this. Help us to step into that. In Jesus' name, amen.